Well, good morning, church. Happy New Year to all of you. Thank you. It's, um, it's, we're, David mentioned it to me. He said, you know, it's sort of fun watching us come together as one service. Um, and there's quite a few people that aren't here. And if we were all here, we wouldn't be able to do this. That's why we do two services. But today, with a holiday in that way, let's just do one service. And some of you walked in, you're like, oh, so that's who sits in my seat in the other service. So <laughs> you're walking around, shaking hands, like, looking at me, and you're like, I'm going to get here earlier next time we do one service so I can have my seat, right? Oh, the way we act sometimes, it's fun, isn't it? Um, grab your Bibles. We're going to be looking at a few of pages. I'm not going to tell you where to go yet. Just have them ready to go. Um, first thing is, obviously, it's a new year, so I want you to start thinking things that are new, right? Um, we, when we get something new, we have such high expectations, high hopes for that new thing that we have in our life. If you get a new car, which would be... This narrows us down to a few of us, right? You get that new car, you get that new car, you have all these new gadgets, especially if you bought a newer one compared to maybe the, you know, the 2002 or the 1990, whatever you were driving. And it's all these new gadgets. There's new things you can do. There's new smells to a car. It's like, it's like oh, I like this, right? You have these expectations. If you get new clothes, you're excited about it because it's, hey, wow, this actually fits and, and it doesn't have an odor to it and no rips or stains on it, right? And it's, it's exciting. You feel like a new person with these new clothes on. If it's a toy that you get at Christmas or whatever it might be, it's like, wow, I've got something that doesn't have a dent, a break, a crack in it. It actually works or functions. There's something about having something new that you're like, yes, this is so good. You go to the store. You pick up a half a gallon of ice cream. You get home, you open up, and you realize, Nobody actually took a spoonful out before you brought it home. It's like, yes, that's a good feeling, right? Go to the restaurant. You expect your food to come right off the grill, right out of the oven. Not like, you know, what did they have yesterday? Let's just pull it out of the fridge and we'll just nuke it for them and put it on a plate and send it to them, right? No, you're getting something new. And there's something awesome about that. The expectations are new. And so right now, I guess my whole thought of this is, when it's new, it just seems so much better. And there's so much high hopes for what you have with whatever it is that is new in your life. And when we say Happy New Year, there's all these expectations that today and tomorrow and the next day for the next 360 plus days are going to be incredible. Because it's a new year and I've got these new hopes, right? Well, before we get into where that goes, I want to take a look in the back in the in the past, so to say, this past year, because there was a lot to celebrate, a lot of new things that took place this past year, new relationships, new marriages, uh, dedications. We'll pull up on the screen here, and I know we're probably going to miss a few, and my apologies for that, but we were sort of looking back at this last year and say, baby dedications. There's a lot of parents that's like, I'm going to dedicate my child to God. I'm going to dedicate my parenting style. And then there was baptism. 17 people got baptized this past year. There was new people that gave their relationship to Jesus Christ for the first time. There was, we talked to Derek. I said, Derek, congratulations. I think you were the only one that got married this past year. We had like six or seven the year before. We have about four or five coming up this year. But in 2022, I think we only had one new marriage. And then we're talking about covenant members of the church here. Births. New children born. There was 11 uh, new babies born this past year. There's a lot of new things that got celebrated this, over this past. And we look back and say, man, this was awesome. With new things, there's all these expectations, right? Baptisms, births, dedications. And it's the same way. 
outfit, car, toy, whatever it is that's new, you say, I expect it to work. I expect it to fit. I expect it to be a certain way. That's the expectation of something that is new. But what if it doesn't meet your expectations? What if that new thing doesn't fit? What if that new toy breaks? What if your new car breaks down? What if that new relationship doesn't go right? You know, sometimes we have a similar attitude with the things that we own and the relationships we have. When I got baptized, you know, it's like, well, I went home and, and, I, and I had these lustful thoughts or I, I, I got angry and I, I lost my temper or I made a bad choice. Well, I guess that baptism didn't work, right? Or maybe, you know, the baby dedication as a parent. You're like, okay, I dedicated. I, I know it's about me as a parent dedicating my life as a parent to raising this child to be somebody who's going to seek out God. But I got home again, got angry and mad at my kids. And well, I guess that baby dedication didn't work out the way I hoped it worked, right? Or maybe you just got married or you started a new relationship. Well, we're not communicating well. And I'm sort of drifting from my spouse. Guess that wedding ceremony didn't work, right? So, so what's the deal with returns when it comes to faith and family? I mean, if the shirt doesn't fit, I mean, I, toy doesn't work, car doesn't, breaks down, whatever it might be, I can maybe return it. There's a warranty, right? But what about the births of the child, the marriage relationships, the baptisms, all those other new things that we celebrated? What if those don't go as expected? Is there a return policy on any of those things? Like, Jesus, can I have that back? Can, can I just take this back? I may say this. When it comes to faith issues, if it's not working out like you thought, you can't return it. You just maybe work a little bit more at it. When I grew up back in the day, if something didn't fit, you made it fit. If it didn't work right, you made it work right. <clears throat> you, you put some time into it. I think back with our faith, though, if something isn't going right, how do we, what do we do with that? Excuse me. <clears throat> we just celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ, a new baby, a new Savior. We said the Messiah is here. There is the, the joy, the thrill, the excitement, the celebration. And we focused on what took place in the manger, and we celebrated that. And, and we focus on the celebration of the angels. And we, we focus on the wise men and their celebration and the gifts that they brought. And we just, we just spent a whole month looking at all this, just celebrating the, the thrills and the excitement is so good, right? And we have many reasons to celebrate. Biggest one being our Messiah came. Our Savior has arrived. We've said this before and before, God with us. So much to celebrate. And I look at this and I say, you know what? But those celebrations all took place during hard circumstances. Rewind back. Think about the, the, including the, the shameful thing of having a pregnancy before marriage. Or the long journey. Or the distress. Or maybe the birthing situation in an unfamiliar place among strangers. Not having everything that you hope to have around you. Maybe lacking the comforts of life. It was a tough spot. But they celebrated. They didn't make a return. You're like, this isn't working out. Can we talk to the angel again? Can you send Jesus back? This is not what we expected. It didn't work that way. 
And it would be easy to think that after this incredible celebration, oh, did we mention in the temple when they met Anna and Simeon on separate occasions and they rejoiced and celebrated? Oh, the visit of the wise men? After, after all that, you would think it's going to be a simple life for this Savior to grow up, right? He grew up in a home of Joseph and Mary, and life would be so good. And it's going to get easier, right? Ladies, you're, you're the only ones that get the answer to this question. You, you had the announcement of you're having a baby. And then you had a baby shower. And then the arrival and the celebration of your child comes, and then it gets easier. Right, ladies? I'm seeing a lot of no's and a lot of <laughs> not happening, Rex. You're right. Life is not easier just because you have Jesus in the house. It wasn't for Mary and Joseph. With, with all that celebration, with all the newness, it's like, yeah, but it's still going to be challenging. And sometimes we think, hey, Jesus is in the house, it's all good. Well, Jesus is in the house, and it was still challenging. And when we think I got Jesus in my life, it's all good, right? Yes and no. It is still hard. At an early age, Joseph and Mary fled for their lives. King Herod decreed that all male babies, two and under, should be put to death. He wiped out a whole generation of children because of Jesus. As quickly as there was this rejoicing, the devil's like, I don't like this rejoicing. I'm going to try to spoil all the plans that I can. And I know God's got a plan. I'm going to try to spoil it. I'll use Herod. So here comes Herod, was about ready to be the spoiler of everything, right? We need to remember Herod was an evil man, but he was also part of God's plan in this. In your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. In Genesis 25, I just want to take you back to something I thought was very unique, very incredible. Um, maybe it doesn't matter so much in this message, but it reminded me, when you look at God's word, you've got to start at the beginning and see the plan, how it unfolds. <clears throat> I was studying the background of Herod um, recently, and I discovered that Herod's lineage, where he comes from, he came from the family of Esau while Jesus came from the family line of Jacob. Oh yeah, Jacob and Esau. Now remember this. God told, let's rewind back even further to Grandpa, to Abraham, Father Abraham. Remember, many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Good job, okay. That's where we're stopping right there. So anyway, God said, Father Abraham, Abraham, you're gonna have many descendants. This is gonna be my family. From this line of descendants is where the Savior, the Messiah, is gonna come from. So... Abraham is like, well, when are we going to have a baby? We've been waiting and waiting. They try to take things in their own hands. They try to jump ahead of God's plan. Mistake, right? They finally have a baby. They have Isaac. Well, Isaac gets married to Rebecca, and it's another 20 years till they have a child. Again, she couldn't have children. God opens up, and all of a sudden, you're going to have a baby. Oh, by the way, you're having twins. You're having twins. So we read in Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 20, it says this. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. Now you have to think about this. My wife can't have a child, but yet God has told my father, Abraham, that 
from us, there's going to be so many descendants, they outnumber the stars. How can this be if my wife's not having a baby? So he pleads with God. The Lord answers Isaac's prayer. Rebecca becomes pregnant with twins. Look at verse 22. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. She, just think about this, ladies. You know you can sense when that baby moves, right? It's sort of a weird thing. I remember the first time Jenny was like, oh, feel, put your hand right here. You can feel and move. And I'm thinking, and I felt it, and I was like, you know what I thought of? The movie Alien. If you ever watch it, don't watch it, okay? But I was like, I was waiting for something. Like, and it's like, it, I, I can, then you could see the movement, and I'm going, that's just weird, right? Something's going on inside Rebecca so much between the two babies. She's been told, you're having twins. And she's like, but there's something going on. So she goes to God in prayer. It's like, God, what is happening inside of me? The Lord tells her this. The sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve the younger son, which back in those days, that's completely off because the oldest son got double the birthright, double the portions, double everything, got this, the spiritual birthright placed on them. But God's like, oh, by the way, the younger one's going to get all that. It's going to be vice versa. Look at verse 24. When the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat, so they named him Esau. The other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. Uh, that means trickster, by the way. So as he's being, it's the amazing thing is the twins are being born, the one's like holding on, like I'm coming too, Right? So much of this story, but there's, here's what I want you to see. There was conflict in the womb before the birth ever took place. So Rebecca goes to God asking to say, what's going on with the turmoil inside? Ladies, again, this is the kind of prayer you pray after the kids are growing up and they're running around the house. like, God, what's up with all this turmoil, right? Why are they always fighting with each other? She's praying that prayer before the babies were ever born. Something is going on here. And what we discover in one, in eventually is that one nation, Jacob's line, and Esau's line, the other nation, are going to be fighting against each other. There's always going to be conflict. There's going to be rivalry. Fall down further through the descendants, parent, grandparent, great-grandparent, so far, and you're going to find out that from Jacob comes Jesus. From Esau comes Herod. And then you look at that rivalry further down the road. Here's Herod now, who's a he was called actually king of the Jews where he was serving at the time. He finds out that there's another king that's been born. Oh, and he's been called king of the Jews as well. We got to resolve this conflict. How about I eliminate that king? So when you look at this story and understand the, the, the prophecy that was taking place, it's a pretty amazing story. Understand what's going on with Herod. Herod, who's probably very intelligent, he's also a very evil man. He was always trying to eliminate anybody that was going to come up and try to take his position. So he probably understands from the line of lineage. He's like, oh, this could be the one that's supposed to be ruling over me. I will eliminate them. Why am I sharing this story with you? Because anytime Jesus is about ready to rule in your heart, the devil's going to try to step in and try to spoil it. There's always a rivalry there. If Jesus is the master of your life, understand this. The world is going to do everything it can to dethrone him from your life. Even today, you look around what's going on in your life. What are, what are you facing? Is there a reason for that? 
We don't have much uh, after the visit of the wise men. I have no idea why that's all popping up there. That jumped way ahead. We don't know what struggles Mary and Joseph went through for the next 30 years, but we know this, Jesus grew up. And it wasn't until another 30 plus years then, when he was 33, that he began his ministry. It's sort of the same way in our life. When we first meet Jesus, when you first ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, none of us are walking on water, are we? None of us are, are doing what things that Jesus did. When we first come to know Jesus, we're like the disciples. We're like, I'm just following you and I'm amazed and I'm trying to learn. And like the disciples, it was years before they actually were engaged and became leaders within the church. And they became very disciplined in how they lived. They struggled when they first came to know Jesus. They understood this. It was a journey. One moment at a time. And I think sometimes when we start this new relationship with Jesus Christ, like a new outfit, like a new car, like a new toy, we have these high expectations that this is going to be awesome, which it is. It is. But it's also a journey. And on your faith journey, you will have moments when the opposition is going to try to knock Jesus out of your life and disappoint you and defeat you. It's going to happen. The devil doesn't have to meet you face to face to scare you. It doesn't take a tragedy or a threat to weaken your faith. A simple doubt, a long day, a sinful moment. These are things that are enough to make us consider walking away or just not focusing anymore on our faith, just setting it aside, saying, you know what, God, can I get a refund can, can, I, can I make an exchange? Because this spiritual life, this Christian life, isn't everything I thought it was going to be. So can I, can I exchange it? Do, do, do exchanges. Same size, different color. That's all I'm saying. That's what we want, right? As we head into this new year, and we start making all these New Year's resolutions, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to save money. I'm going I'm to be more disciplined. I'm going to be a stronger Christian. Here's the thing. We know, I mean... Studies show it. We know that the majority of us, with all those resolutions we make, we lose traction, and eventually we just sort of like, yeah, maybe next year, right? Sort of happens. Great intentions, disappointing results. So here's what I want to challenge you with. I'm not going to say it's about a strong start or a great finish. I'm, I'm going to say it's everything in between. We do want to have a great start. We want to come to know the Lord and we look forward to the day when he returns. But in between us on this journey, how are you doing with that? Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. It's one verse. It's the only verse. I really want to make this a landing point on what verse I want us to, to see. Ephesians 5.15. It says this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like the fool's but like those who are wise. Just let that soak in. As we start this new year, be careful how you live. Don't live like the fools, but like those who are wise. You know, when we get our first snowfall, and we've already had it, but now you look outside and say, oh, okay. The next time it snows again, we're going to be reminded of this. With that first snowfall or the first time the roads get really icy and slippery, we are reminded, you know, you need to slow down and be careful, right? The roads get slick. We are quickly reminded how dangerous and treacherous these roads can be, especially when you're coming to an intersection. 
and you're pumping on those brakes, and all of a sudden you start sliding, right? I've learned in time that in those situations, you start to slow down way before you ever get to the intersection. You know, you know what, these roads are probably could be a little slick. They could be a little bit different, right? So I, I know I need to slow down now, and I need to be a little bit more cautious than that. I need to be careful. A few years ago, I was uh, curious to how slippery the roads really were. And so uh, instead of going slow, and not about slowing down, but taking off from the intersection, I thought, are these roads really, because I, I was cautious, I was careful coming to the intersection, but as I left the intersection, which is just as important as coming to an intersection, I was like, ah, I don't know if this is really slippery. So I, you know, maybe I put on an accelerator a little bit further than I should have. And as I took off, all I know was, is that I was going this way. And next thing I know, I was going that way. And I almost took out a mailbox. And as I made my, my uh, 180 degree turn in the middle of the road, um, I, I looked over to the side where there happened to be a neighbor standing out on this coffee, waiting for his dog to do his business, looking at me, giving me, giving me that, you're an idiot look. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and I played it cool. I did my 180. I was like, what's up? I was just going that way. And, uh, and I just went on the wrong direction because I was too prideful to make a turnaround. But, but here's the thing. That's, that's what happens when we are not cautious, when we are foolish. We end up going in the wrong direction. We end up putting ourselves in a place we should not be. And, and here's the thing. Before we ever get to that point, we need to, need to slow down. Spiritually speaking, as well. Be careful how you live. Paul is obviously not talking about ice-covered roads here and how we should live our lives when we're driving. But he is talking about how we are sometimes needlessly and being recklessly as we are living our life, making choices, pursuing foolish things in our lives. And he's saying in your spiritual walk, be careful. Be, be like those who are wise. So church, let me say this. So let me ask you this. How are you living your life today? Spiritually speaking, are you careful or are you reckless? Slow down. Be aware of your surroundings so that you know which way you need to go when you get to those intersections in your life. Some of us are just plowing forward so fast in our lives that we've not taken the time to get quiet with God. So we know when we get to that intersection that we're going to be safe and we're going to know which direction to go. Truth is, you know, um, it's hard, isn't it? Because we want to be all spiritual giants. It's like, I want to memorize every verse in the Bible. I want, a, I want a prayer life that just knocks people down. I want, to, I want to slay every giant that comes in my path. I'm like that 1-800 Christian commercial that, you know, I'm calling that number so that I can be an incredible, strong Christian person. And I want it now, right? Slow down. It's not that easy. There is no, I'm a, I'm a strong Christian today because of what I just did in the last five minutes. If you remember the story of the turtle and the rabbit, now we'll put that up there. Um, if you remember that story about the, uh, the rabbit challenges the turtle to a race, and, and the turtle accepts the challenge, and the rabbit's like, this is going to be awesome, right? So the course is established, there's a finish line, and boom, you know, the gun fires, and off they go, and the turtle's just 
slowly takes off, right? And the rabbit just shoots out like out of a cannon, and it's just flying down. And the, the rabbit gets to the point in time where it's like, man, I am so far ahead of this. I'm just going to kick back and take a little nap. I'm just going to sit back and just wait. And the rabbit falls asleep. And the turtle, who's been slowly, progressively moving forward, passes where the rabbit is sleeping. And as you know the story, wins the race. Now, if you remember the, the whole thing about this, did, did he trick the rabbit? No. Did he cheat? No. Did he take a shortcut? No. He just simply was focused on the goal, slow and steady. This is where I'm going. In your Bibles now, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. What does this have to do with a rabbit and a turtle? Nothing. Nothing at all. Except this could be our picture of our faith right here. Some of us are like, I'm so excited to be a Christian. We go and we run ahead and we run ahead. And then we just sort of like stop and realize that we've blown it, right? That could be it. But I'm more or less, I'm looking at the turtle of the story. The one that says, you know, life is a race. And, and I'm going to go steady day by day, step by step. My progress may not look as quick as this Christian over here, but I am slowly moving forward every single day, keeping pace. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses in the life of faith, referring back to chapter 11, all the, the, the Hall of Faith people there, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor besides God's throne. The finish line is Jesus Christ. Our focus is on Jesus Christ. At the close of our race, we are going to meet our righteous Savior. He will be the eternal judge. He will give you your reward. And the question we need to ask is, is my focus on Jesus Christ, or is it easily distracted by the things along the course? Where is our focus right now? I'm excited about a new year because I have expectations for new, just like you do. But I also, in my expectations, have to understand, it's, it's a year, and hopefully more years, unless the Jesus, Jesus returns, which I'm, I'm good with that any time. Okay? But until he returns, it is a day-by-day progressive journey. And the devil's going to do all he can to derail you and defeat you. Where's your focus? Where's your focus? I hope and pray it is on the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. You know, we can look to the examples in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11. All these men and women who, I'm, they were like, our focus is on Christ. Yes, they maybe at times lived foolish lives and they spun out in their life. But then they got back on track and they faithfully followed him. Our motivation, here's our motivation. It's not a fire up speech. It's really simple. It's because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Does the joy of eternity propel you forward, church? Some of you are like, oh, this world. I don't know if I can handle much more of this world than news. Exactly, because this isn't your home. There is a joy that awaits us. There is a heavenly home that awaits us. And our motivation is, Someday, I'm going to be there. 
My focus is on Jesus Christ, the finisher and the author of my faith, and that is where my focus is, and this propels me forward. Not, I hope tomorrow's better. It's like, no, I have eternity ahead, and that's my motivation for wanting to continue my steady pace. Live your life carefully. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Please keep going. Like the, like the turtle, this journey is going to take endurance. And the world's going to laugh at your speed. The world's going to laugh at your direction. The world is going to laugh at your disciplined living. You get up early. You read what? You pray why? Oh, you, you don't do this? You don't do that? <laughs> You're weird. Thank you. Yes, I am. I am. I'm different than the world. I believe Paul said I'm an alien and a stranger in this world. And I'm proud of it. And that's the way we need to live. Knowing that the world will laugh at us. But slow and steady wins the race. Consistently walking with God. We will walk consistently with God. How? Prayer. Reading the word. Worship. There's obviously different ways but my, my challenge to you this new year is going to be a, sort of a strong focus from our church to really get into God's word, to spend more time in prayer, to live a disciplined life. We know in the book of Genesis, it said that God took the earth, made a little pile of dirt, and then he breathed into the dirt, into the nostrils of Adam and started life. God's breath created life. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all Scripture is God-breathed. Same word usage. When we open up God's Word, He's like breathing life into us. Some of us are suffocating because we're not opening up His Word. Some of us are not being able to live and fulfill our purpose for Jesus Christ because we're not letting him breathe into us. Picture yourself being like a balloon. Can you imagine, and for the kids here, when you were younger, maybe this is so, you've gone to a carnival, um, homecoming, some event, some festival, and they've got these, these balloons, these helium balloons, right? And then they're walking around like, and you're like, Mommy, I want a balloon. You know, and you're like begging and begging, and, and finally your parents buy you the balloon. And you, you walk around, and you're like, oh, I got a balloon. Right? And it's pretty exciting, isn't it? Now, can you imagine the same guy selling balloons, only he's got his strings tied to the balloons, but there's nothing in the balloons. They're just flat, and they're just, he's just pulling them on the ground. Balloons for sale? Who wants a balloon? I got a pretty balloon here, and they're all flat and shriveled up, right? Who wants that? Nobody does. But if we put something into those balloons, if we breathe into those balloons and, and inflate them, now they can fulfill their purpose. Now somebody's like, I want that. Look at that, right? As Christians, when God breathes into us, we are inflated. And people look at us and say, yeah, I don't know. There's something different about you, but I like that. Like I said, they may look at us and call us weird, but they know there's something special going on because we have been inflated. We have been breathed into by God. We can now fulfill our purpose. We're not like that flat balloon that's being drug around on a string. Let him breathe into you. Let God's word breathe into you. Every day I encourage you, live carefully. Focus on Jesus by prayer and seeking him in his word. Proverbs chapter 3. 
uh, 3, verses 1 and 2 says this. My child, never forget well, these things that I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you'll live many years and your life will be satisfying. You've probably heard this. I'm going to say it again. If you don't know where to start, maybe start in the book of Proverbs. Today is January 1st. Start in Proverbs 1. Tomorrow's the second day of the month. Go to Proverbs 2. Whatever day of the month it is, go to that, that chapter and just read. You've probably heard that challenge before, but I'm telling you, if you read through Proverbs on a consistent basis, you'll discover God saying, I want to breathe this truth into you. Here's just a few of the things, some of my favorites, how we can trust in the Lord, how he's involved in our daily lives and plans. Hard work brings success. Laziness invites poverty. Words are, be, are important, so be careful what you say. Watch out for pride. Be humble and quick to take advice. Those are all in Proverbs. Here's some more. Parenting is important. Do it well. Sexual sin will destroy your life if you let it entice you. Be careful who you let influence you. Students, you want to know why sometimes your parents are like, no, you can't go out with them. You know you can't go out with them. You know why? Because your parents understand this proverb. They understand the people you hang out with influence you. How you live your neighbors is, uh, with your neighbors is important. Treat them with respect. Again, more things from Proverbs. One more. One's inner life, that's your heart, is of great importance. Watch over it. Guard your heart. Plan and save. Don't borrow and loan. Riches are not as important as they might seem. Be generous and kind to the poor and those less fortunate than you. All these are from the book of Proverbs. Incredible ways to live your life. But we don't know how to live our life for God if we're not letting him breathe into us. Here's another challenge. Maybe pick up a devotional book. Here's a couple examples. Victory 365, 365 days of devotional reading. You've got a scripture. You've got a little devotional challenge. You've got more scripture to read. You've got a prayer to read. It's really simple. Here's one that was recently given to me uh, by, by Karen and Emily Chumchall. And they, you know, they said, Rex, we ought to do this as a church. So I'm going to encourage you, if you'd like to go out, buy this book. It's called Daily in His Presence by Andrew Murray. And it's a very similar thing. It's got a scripture in there, a little devotional thought. And it's something, again, that I'm planning on doing this year. You don't have to pick this one. You can pick any one. But I want to challenge you as a church. Let's make sure we're getting into God's word on a daily basis. This is just a little help. This is going to direct me, hopefully, more to where I should be spending the majority of my time. And I want to encourage you to do that. Have a plan for your spiritual journey. If you don't have a plan, you're going to be like the rabbit that's going to pull over and just lay down and say, I didn't know where I was going anyway. I forgot where the finish line was. I'm just going to pull over here. Nobody jumps into their vehicle and just starts driving, right? I mean, when you guys leave your house, you grab your keys and like, okay, here I'm going to. Wait, where am I going? Now, if you're to that point, we need to talk, right? But most of us, when you grab your keys, you go to your car, you get in your vehicle, you start driving, you know where you're going. You have a destination. Spiritually speaking, what is your destination? I'm not talking about eternity in heaven. I'm talking about where are you going in your growth plan, your faith plan, your faith journey today and tomorrow. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Where do you want to go in your faith journey in 2023? Maybe we should put it that way. If, if you were to like leave this uh, church today and you get home, it's like, okay, by the end of the month, where do I want to be? By the end of the year, where do I want to be? How about this? You can go ahead and do that. Some people are really good with one-year, three-year, five-year plans. I, I sort of have it in my mind. That would, be, that would be great. But a lot of times it's just like, all right, today and tomorrow. 
God, where am I at right now today? What do I need to be doing today? But what I'm doing today helps me get to where I want to be tomorrow. So what is your plan? It took the disciples years of walking with Jesus before they became spiritual giants. And you know people in your life that could probably walk with you on this. Because this is always challenging to do it by yourself, right? People say, if you get into the weight room and you're going to work out and get physically fit, it's better if you have somebody to hold you accountable to help make sure you show up to the gym, they call you. You're, you're more apt to get where you want to go. Same thing spiritually. Who in here, who in your home, can you share with, you know what, here's what I want to do this coming year. And I'm going to need to do this every day. So can you check in on me? Can you, can you hold me accountable? Find somebody to help you. Find somebody to help you stay focused on Jesus Christ. It is a new year with new expectations, right? Slow and steady, church. Slow and steady. Have a spiritual journey. Know where you're going with this. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to come to worship you. to sing, to pray. But God, I know this, the more I open up your word, the more I get to know you, the more I know you, the more I love you. The more I love you, the more I want to worship you. So God, when I come here on Sunday mornings, it, it selfishly is my opportunity to worship you in a way I've not been able to worship you all week to draw closer to you, but to really celebrate what I've learned about you this week, what, what I've experienced. And, and, and even if it was bad, it doesn't matter because I'm coming before you, before your throne and just saying, you are God, I'm not. Thank you for helping me today in my life. God, as we progress on our spiritual journey as a church, I pray, God, that our church is careful in how we live. Not as fools, but as wise. I pray that our eyes are focused on you, your son, Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of life. And Lord, may we daily seek you in prayer and reading of your word. Breathe into us, God. Change us from the inside out. And God, help us to do it with another person as well, to not try to do this spiritual journey alone. I thank you for a church that is seeking you. I pray, Lord, that we are faithful through this upcoming year on this journey. In thy name we pray, amen.